Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240, for Autumn Semester 2023. Today, ratio analysis, and as... What the heck? Oh, God. <laughs> we now resume our regular broadcast. Uh, as promised, there will be a uh, quiz today. Now, about that fiasco, here's what happened. Your Excel... Uh, homework. Some of them had a wrong, an two wrong answers in a row. The change in receivables and the change in inventory. So if you got it right, you were marked wrong. And if you got it right, everything below that was wrong because it was based on their calculate on Excel's calculation. And I couldn't fix it. It was too late. Some of you got it one that was right, but a lot of you weren't getting it wrong. Getting it wrong. So I. I can't change all scores, so I had the Cengage rep say, okay, I said, just give everyone a 10 for it, that's it. Well, he went and gave everyone a 40 for the main assignment. Okay, well, FML. <laughs> By the time I've, some of you are sending me these confused, I haven't done it yet, and I got a 40. I thought, the hell? Okay, for, so once I figured it out, it was too late to go pull it back, so I just said, take the 40 and the 10. So you've got two freebies. Uh, chapter 3, you all got, in, uh, I'm amazed, you guys all did perfect on it. <laughs> so, and I will not let that happen again. What's funny is that the original set that I did, just to make sure everything was okay, it was, everything was okay. And it was only after one of you, I won't mention his name, but he's that guy right there comes in yelling at me, what the heck's going on? And I thought, the fuck? Okay, it's fixed now. You all got, so you're off the hook. Now, the assignment for this week, I'll probably spill that into Monday, so I postponed the due date for Chapter 4 stuff until Wednesday of next week. Uh, so that'll help you with that a little bit, too. But for now, we're going to do some happy things with ratios. Now, in your, uh, in your Canvas uh, folder called Files, you will find that I put a, a, rate, a financial ratios formula sheet in there. So that's just a quickie guide, and that will be available to you. You can bring that to the midterm exam with you. you uh, don't write on it or anything. You get a couple of note cards for that. But that's just something extra that you can bring to the final. The whole point of this in finance, I don't care whether you can memorize these formulas or not. What I do care about is that you know what the numbers actually are saying about an underlying company. So keep that in mind. Listen and take notes. I'm going to explain these ratios, what they're telling us about the company. That's finance, not the numbers, but what the numbers are saying. So yeah, stay tuned for that. But as usual, we're going to start with the happy thing that is our um, current market. Now, the driving force today is that the inflation numbers seem to be a little on the higher side than we would like to see them. So what that 
implies is that the Fed is going to put some pressure on the economy, raise interest rates. Interest rate rates going up are a downer for the uh, markets. However, remember that the markets are really strong. So a down information that is negative isn't necessarily going to really kill the markets. They might sh shake the markets a, bit, a little bit, but they won't kill them. And as you can see up there, you really don't have much of anything that's notable. Those, none of those numbers is worth talking about. They're just barely negative on two of them and a little bit positive on the NASDAQ. But it's really nothing uh, spectacular. In other words, there was strength in the markets, positive bullish sentiment. Today, we had enough that it got the bulls to the sidelines, but it wasn't enough to have everyone freak out and panic. So that's the lesson out of this. Now, crude has gotten up a little above that neckline at 88, but I'm not too worried about it. It's still one thing that seems to be going on. The, uh, the backstory is that the war in Eastern Europe is beginning to heat up. And there is one of our uh, big source of oil for the global markets. And whether the global markets go, with their price will go too. So you'll see, you're beginning to see a little bit of what we sometimes call a war premium showing up in the crude oil price. It's nothing big right now, but like I said, there's enough activity in the back channels to tell us that it could get pretty nasty over on the in Eastern Europe. And again, Oil is flowing through from uh, Russia, oil flowing through from Ukraine. You've got the, uh, the uh, front countries of NATO right there where the oil flows through as it gets to the ports uh, and to the uh, refineries in Europe. So yeah, there's a little bit of a concern there. It's okay though, if we get involved in a war, it will be you who will be drafted, not me. Send some postcards from the front unless you're dead. Uh, not to scare you, but you do want to keep your eye on the global scene. We are the leaders of the world. You will be soon. And so it's our job to take care and to keep an eye on how bad things could get. Now, gold and silver, not anything. I, I mean, I, I, there's nothing there that's going to worry anyone. It's a wait and see attitude. Notice the bonds. The bonds have slid into negative territory, just a little bit. Yield is down, price is up. So you're probably seeing some investors just pulling a little money out of equities over here, causing their prices to slide, and putting it into bonds over here. That's how I would interpret it. But again, notice that everything is muted. These are not big moves whatsoever. Bond yields are down about one and a half basis points. That's not that that's snooze territory, really. And uh, also, interestingly enough, the euro and the pound are generally down against the dollar. In other words, the dollar. We think that the Fed might push interest rates up. Interest rates are the price of dollars. So the value of the dollar against other currencies may tend to increase. So that would be why the euro and the pound, the uh, British pound, 
are sliding a little bit, depreciating. That's the same thing as saying that the dollar is appreciating a little bit. I don't know what was going on over in Tokyo. Notice that Tokyo and London, they weren't act, doing this at the same time. First Tokyo has this up, then down, and then up, then a little down. And London did about the same thing. It's like a, there was some wave. It hit Japan, and then it went over, and it hit London. And I'm wondering, just curiosity. Huh. You're seeing the kind of the same wave here. Da up, down, up, and now it's sliding down again. So, I don't know. Is there some kind of a wave coming through of information, one wave after another or something? I don't know. It's hard to say. But taking that off to the side, follow with me on, on, the, um, on what I'm going to do here. First, I'm going to look at Kellogg. Kellogg is down, and that's not a small amount down today, but I'm not really worried too much about that. We're just going to look at Kellogg, and then I'm going to pull up its financial statements and use those to show you the calculations for the ratios. These uh, create your own spreadsheet and put the formulas in and then you're ready to go. Uh, so market cap, okay, beta, very tame, little undervalued, profitable, and it pays a nice fat, I mean a fat dividend of 4.01 per share, 4 uh, percent per share. So that's, it's a strong, stable company. And I usually like to use one of those to show you how, rate, how to do ratios. It's just arithmetic. It's nothing big. But you want one that has financial statements that have at least most of your entries in them. Uh, so that you don't, I don't want to leave a ratio out because the number isn't available. So without, uh, with that as the backdrop, let me kill off here. Now I've already done, brought up Kellogg's financial statements. If you want to do that and walk with me on this, by all means, just pull up the Kellogg financial statements from scc.gov and you can do that. Otherwise, just watch what I do. I've put together the income statement, the balance sheet, and the consolidated statement of earnings. Not sure I'll need the consolidated statement of, of cash flows. I'm not sure I'll need the cash flows for the ratios, but I've got them there anyway. Now, as usual, the way I do it is I put in a nice worksheet And this one I'm going to put between the income statement and the balance sheet. And this is the ratios. And I'll make this a little bigger so you can see it uh, better. Now these ratios are one, are one number in the financial statements divided by another number in the financial statements. And the mechanics of it, first things first. And this financial analysis formula sheet right here, this is what you should use for your guide. Now, there are a couple in here that aren't in the book. You're responsible for them. I'll explain what they are, how we use them. But the first thing we're going to do is look at the liquidity ratios.
liquidity ratios of the company. These are how liquid, how much, how cash flush, how much in ready money or ready things are there on the table. And uh, before I go on, let me make a, a distinction, and I do this in higher level classes too. Liquidity is not the same as solvency. Solvency is the overall ability of a company to cover its liabilities. Liquidity is a narrower idea. Liquidity is how much is relatively quickly available for whatever purposes, for paying bills, for creating new stuff, and all that. Now, there are three liquidity ratios. The current ratio is one of them. The next one is called the quick ratio. You'll hear me use an older term, and I think they even mention it in the book. You'll hear me call it the acid test. And then there's one that's not in the book, and it was used back in my time. And it has suddenly, just very recently, become of interest again. Now, like I said, it's not in the book, but you need to know it. We used to call it the burn ratio. And sometimes you'll hear it called the cash ratio. It's in your formula sheet. These are the liquidity ratios. Now, once we've done the liquidity ratios, we would move on to the next group of ratios. Whoops. The next group of ratios would be profitability. Now these are not in the, necessarily in the order that the book does them. They're in the order that my experience has said they are used or they are important, uh, for lack of a better word. Now the profitability ratios, oops, I want that one to be. Now the profitability ratios. The first one that we would probably want to talk about is the gross margin. You notice, and I've mentioned this before, professionally, we generally capitalize only the first word, the letter, first letter of the first word of a financial identity or a financial thing. Now the next one that you would probably want to do is the operating margin. The next one you would want to do is the net margin. And then the one after that is the return on assets. The ROA. You'll almost always hear it called ROA. Hardly anyone would say return on assets. It's ROA. And then it's uh, 
younger sibling the return on equity. You'll hear that one called the ROE. And then you'll see the dividend ratio. And one last one, which is actually just one minus the dividend ratio, is called the plowback ratio. Sometimes you'll hear that just abbreviated the plowback. A quick mention here. The dividend ratio is not the same as the dividend yield, which I've shown you on the Yahoo Finance screens all the time. It's not the same thing. Now you'll have the next class of ratios are the debt ratios. That's a class of ratios. There aren't many of them. Whoops. And in the debt ratios, debt to total assets, and then you'll have the times interest earned. And then the asset activity ratios. And among and in there, you have one that is actually pretty hard. Well, let me write it this way. Uh, the um, the first one is average collection period. This one can be hard to get because you need, you're going to need the actual number of credit sales to do it. And that's generally not reported up front in the financials. It used to be, but it's not anymore. What we usually do now, if you're going to calculate that one, you probably will have to look in the notes to the financial statements to get that one. So I'm probably not going to do that unless Kellogg surprises me and has it where I can get to it fairly easily. This one has been a, well, really since, in, oops, I'm sorry, inventory turnover ratio. This one's been a hot topic for like four, three decades at least. And it's still one that is kind of an obsession with companies. Getting how many times a year on average the inventory of the company is cleared and then put back in. So you would expect a company that, does, that has like, for example, um, Amazon has a pretty high asset turnover ratio. If you've ever seen one of their warehouses, they are 
just like huge or like football, more than football fields. But their asset, even at that, they actually cleared all the inventory and replaced it in their entire company a surprising number of times a year because they get things right out the door very quickly from the order time. And then there's one other. The total asset turnover. And I will, as I go along, I will explain these. Now, if you want to transfer the explanations to that formula sheet, that's fair game. You can bring it like that to the, to the exams. I mean, that's, that's fine. Explain what the hell it is that it, we're talking about there. And, I mean, market ratios. Oops. Market ratios. There are two of those. And you've actually seen both of them already. Kind of snuck them in a few times. One of them is price to earnings. That's a market ratio because it uses a market value, the price, the market price divided by the earnings. The other one, and you've seen this one, I just brought it up last week, or maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was Monday. Market to book. That was why I said was much more meaningful than MVA is market to book. Without further ado, actually, I'm going to add a line here at the top. Just so I've got 2022, so I can do 2021. Oops. Like that. Okay, now that we've had that fun, let me bold these up for you. Okay, here we go. Liquidity. Current ratio. All you do is take current assets over current liabilities. That's the formula. So this one will equal, you go to the balance sheet you take your total current assets divided by your total current liabilities. What? Really? <laughs> I just did these a few days ago and I did notice that. Total current assets divided by total current liabilities. This is a multiplier. Its units are times. It's how many times over could the current assets pay for the current liabilities? And in this case, they could pay their current liabilities with their current assets only 0.66 times. In other words, they have 
a considerably lower current asset base than they do current liabilities. Normally, this is closer to one, but there are companies that don't do it that way. You'll see companies down here, Kellogg surprises me that they're doing it, but you could also see current assets to current liabilities that are quite high, even at two. There's, you have to look at the industry to know whether this is good or bad. You also look at a few years data too to see if something weird is going on. Now, this is a liquidity ratio. This is measuring how liquid on net Kellogg is. However, there's something important about this. If you look at a balance sheet, remember that the current assets are listed from the most liquid to the least liquid. The inventories are not liquid. I mean, if you had to get rid of your inventories today to pay current liabilities, you'd get pennies on the dollar. That's just the way it is. Inventories are not that liquid. So the acid test says, well, let's do the same thing again. Let's take the current assets. But before we finish, let's take out, subtract out the inventories because they really aren't that liquid anyway. And then divide that result by the current liabilities. Total current liabilities. Now that's going to be a low number. Oh, Kellogg is really not liquid. Now the burn ratio, and I talked about this earlier with GameStop. The burn ratio says realistically, if you had to pay all of your current liabilities today or tomorrow, the only current asset you have that could really do that is your cash. So the burn ratio or the cash ratio just says how much cash do they have divided by their current liabilities. Oh geez, they could, they could pay only less than 5% of their current liabilities with cash on hand. So realistically speaking, Kellogg is a solvent company, no question about that, but it is not a particularly liquid company. That's not really that unusual, but I'm a little surprised by Kellogg having that policy. They keep, they keep their liquidity low for, one, for better or worse. That's what these, these liquidity ratios tell you is how liquid the company is. How able would it be to quickly take care of its current liabilities? Now, the margins, the profitability. Gross margin. All you do is take your gross, oops, look at that. Do you see what, I, what they don't put in? Gross income. Remember I told you companies don't, I forgot to look. Insert, you need your gross, your gross income. 
Now remember, I showed you, what was it? Target does it. A lot of companies don't mention it, so you have to do it yourself equals your rev net sales minus your costs. Oh well. <laughs> yeah, so now I've got it. Okay, gross margin. The gross margin is equal to your gross income divided by your sales. Now, here's your interpretation of this number. This is how much of every dollar they brought into the cash register that survived paying the wholesale cost of the stuff. In this case, I can say that Kellogg was able to keep about 30 cents of every dollar of stuff it sold after it paid the wholesale cost of it. That's actually, that's not an unusual gross margin. You notice that wholesale costs can eat a lot of every dollar in the cash drawer, just paying the whole, uh, the, the, for the stuff you sold. I sell a pencil for a dollar, well I paid, and what that would say is that I paid, they paid 70 cents for that pencil and they kept about 30 cents. That's how you interpret these margins. They, it, it kind of staggers you, and I, we talked about this last week, I think it was, that you do have that, sometimes your margins are pretty, your gross is pretty tight because you can't put your high prices any higher, even if your wholesale costs go up, you're kind of sometimes locked in because of competitors. And Kellogg is, there's no question, Kellogg has competitors uh, out there. But now the operating margin is going to be, not surprisingly, your operating income. Where the hell is, oh there it is, over there. Operating income, operating profit they call it, divided by your sales. Holy cow. This one is telling you how many cents of every dollar they took into the cash drawer survived wholesale and all of their other operating costs. Salaries, lights, computer uh, electricity, mailing, all shipping. Only t t 11, about 11 cents of every dollar they took in made it past their wholesale costs and their operating costs. That gives you an idea of how it is in business. I mean, this whole thing, I, it just drives me crazy on the internet. Well, these companies are just ripping off everyone. Well, yeah, some companies do that, but you can see that companies like this, they're not ripping anyone off. By the time they get down there to these margins, they are getting a little bit close to that rather difficult number called zero. Now, net margin. This one's important because this is net income over sales. This is, net income is what belongs to the shareholder. You've satisfied all the prior claims, the liability claims, in a timely manner. 
And so what's left at net income belongs to the shareholders. And in this case, equals net income. Why do I keep going to the balance sheet? Net income right there, divided by sales up there. Of every dollar Kroger or Kellogg took in, only about seven cents, a little less than seven cents, made it to the shareholders, made it to the owners. Truth be told, that's not bad. I mean, you see these huge, enormous companies, like the giant oil companies, they have net margins of a couple of pennies, if that. It's because, and they can do that, and shareholders are okay, because their sales are in such insanely large billions that even if they keep a couple of pennies of every dollar, they still get a lot of money, the shareholders do. But that tells you, shows you there, the big giant Kellogg, one of the stable, uh, long-time companies of the earth. It, for its shareholders, of every dollar in sales on Kellogg uh, cereals and all that kind of stuff, the shareholders, the owners, are have the claim to only 6.28 cents of it. These ratios are good because they kind of put into perspective what a company is about. Com this company, Kroger, spends lavishly on its wholesale uh, costs. It spends on its selling general and administrative costs. It pays a lot in interest and taxes. So by the time it gets to the shareholders line, only about six cents of that of every dollar survived. Now Kroger, why I keep saying Kroger, Kellogg, that net income, that will go to, some of it will go to dividends. And then some of it will go back into the operations of the company. It's all of that is for the benefit of the shareholders. The dividends are a direct benefit, plow back into the company, that's a little bit more, we put the money back in so that the stock price will go up so the shareholders will get a capital gain. Now, ROA. ROA is going to be net income divided by total assets. Where the heck, there they are. Think about it like this. The return on assets is like saying the entire company is like a diverse portfolio of investments, of things. Inventory, receivables, uh, property, plant, and equipment. How much did that ginormous portfolio return over the last year? It's sort of like uh, and in your investments. Well, how much was put in? How much comes back out? That's ROA. Now, ROE is sort of, sort of, kind of similar. 
you take the net income and you divide it by the shareholder's equity. Now remember, shareholder's equity is only part of the total a of the total assets. The liabilities are part of it too. We go clear down here to total equity, and there it is. This is like saying our shareholders are a portfolio. How much did we return to that portfolio, to them? It will always be larger than return on assets because the denominator of ROA is all of the assets. The denominator of ROE is only part of the assets, the part that wasn't the liabilities. Now, dividend ratio, I'm going to look around here. I might need a statement of retained earnings to get the dividend. Yep, I'm going to, statement of cash flows. Is the dividend in there? Cash dividend, there it is. Now I'll have to take the absolute value of that. Let me do it again here. Ratio, dividend ratio equals absolute value of the dividends. Now you can get this one out of the statement of retained earnings too. Where the heck was it? Cash dividends, close that, divided by the net income. Wow, they give back to their shareholders as dividends 83% of what they made for them. That's a very high number. In other words, the plowback ratio is just one minus, one minus the dividend ratio. So they reinvest only about 17% of what they make for the shareholders they give a whopping 83% back to them. That's not unusual though for a very large old company. They really don't have that much that they can do with that net income for the benefit of the shareholders as far as reinvestment goes. So they just give most of it back to the shareholders. That's pretty much what that's saying. I will do the rest on Monday right now you need to do a quiz.